Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This episode contains disturbing content and explicit language. Please take care while listening. Six years before meeting Dennis Rodman, Peggy met NFL running back Ricky Williams. As a note, Ricky legally changed his name to Eric Myron in May of 2022, but everything that we're talking about in this podcast happened before that, when he was known as Ricky Williams, so that's what we will be calling him. Back in 2001, Ricky was a rising star in the NFL. He was the number five draft pick right out of college, and at this point, he had played for the New Orleans Saints for three years. Remember that show, MTV Cribs? Ricky was on season four, showing off his New Orleans condo. Now we are going to my closet. And here are shoes. I know it's not Mariah's, but it gets me to where I'm going. The Prada loafers. But I also got the Chucks. I can do either way. All right, let's move on to the next one. To prepare for his Cribs appearance, Ricky needed help getting his condo camera ready. He owned a house and he owned a condo down in the French Quarter. So he just needed the condo to kind of get a little spicy with the decorations and everything like that. This is Chantel Cohen. Ricky Williams did not reply to my interview request, but Chantel is one of his closest friends. And she also lived in New Orleans at the time. Ricky brought in an interior designer to redecorate his condo. And that interior designer showed up with a friend of hers a woman named Peggy. And she was so spunky, beautiful, high energy. And she invited us to go out with her. And um, that's how our friendship started. And what do you remember about her meeting Ricky at that time? What did you notice about how they interacted? Like a bigger sister, mother figure type relationship. She came straight in just with her attitude. So I used to laugh saying that the Coca-Cola that she drank all the time had something extra in it because she was always just on 10. But their relationship started very good. Chantel and Ricky both loved Peggy immediately. 
It was the beginning of a decade-long friendship. But I spoke with the interior designer who introduced them to Peggy. Her name is Pam. And she remembers that first meeting very differently. Ricky was her design client, and Pam says she didn't exactly invite Peggy to join her on the job that day. One day she just showed up and she made herself available. She said, oh, you need sheets, you need this. And she initially purchased some things for him. Pam and Peggy have known each other since childhood. According to Pam, Peggy heard through the grapevine that Pam had this new client who was a big deal in the NFL, Ricky Williams. And suddenly, Peggy was showing up to Pam's work and then to Ricky's home. Pam didn't even know that Peggy was interested in interior design. But there she was, acting as if she was the one who'd been hired to redecorate Ricky's condo. I went out and got lighting and everything to coordinate everything. And before I could do the living room, I was at work and she took him to a store and she picked it out. And then she told so many people throughout the city that it was her design and her work. She made real good friends with his fiance, later wife, but... She took him out on the town. She introduced him to New Orleans. She made herself available all the time. So that's what happened. Pam said that she had been close with Ricky until he met Peggy. And I thought he was the nicest guy ever. And I helped him with his house. Prior to the condo, I'd already, you know, did his entire house. So I I was pretty pleased with him. And we were really close, but she made her way into his life. (laughs) And at that time, I didn't think anything of it. But I had a few other people saying, why does she do that to you? Pam lost Ricky as a client the moment that Peggy arrived. It felt like Peggy was competing with her over Ricky's attention. But Pam wasn't interested in competing. So she let it go and moved on with her life. She had no idea at the time that she had just introduced Ricky to the person who would go on to steal millions of dollars from him. And I didn't realize at that time, you know, what was going on, but I realized that she was scouting him. From Cast Media, this is The Opportunist. This is Season 5, Episode 2. Peggy Fulford, star of the show. I'm Hannah Smith. We would love it if you took a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and Apple Podcasts. And if you have a suggestion for the show, an opportunist that you want to hear us cover, you can write it in your review and we will see it. Thanks so much. You're probably already aware of CAST's new true crime investigative podcast, Lost in Panama. But if you haven't caught up, new evidence and testimony has recently been uncovered in the most recent episodes. It is shining new light on this case. The first four episodes of the series set up the foundation of what is known about this case, including a deep dive into the suspicious tour guide, the mysterious photos, and the remains. But episode five launches a whole new direction of investigation into this case. A woman connected to the confirmed homicide of her own son tells us that she knows the same men responsible for her son's death are also responsible for Chris and Lasanne's deaths. Not only that, but she presents to our team a full, detailed story of exactly what happened, how the women were abducted and killed. And somehow, it all adds up. All the pieces start to fit together. 
or at least start to make more sense. As time begins to run out on the investigation, but with this major breakthrough in hand, the team in Panama must attempt to assemble a compelling enough theory of the case in order to push the Panamanian government to admit that there's more going on here than meets the eye. We need them to reopen this case so that a much closer look can be taken at all the new evidence coming to light and the families affected can finally find some closure all these years later. Will they do it? Listen to all episodes of Lost in Panama, available now wherever you get your podcasts. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Pamela Carey, and um, I am a longtime friend of Peggy Barad King, or Fulford. I'm not sure what name she's going by now, but her maiden name was Barad, and uh, we are longtime friends. Our parents were friends, so I've known her for a long time. Pam calls Peggy her cousin, even though they aren't biologically related. They grew up in the same small Creole community in New Orleans. Everyone went to a Catholic church and Catholic schools. And, you know, you basically uh, befriended and hung out with people that your parents knew. Peggy Ann Burrard was born on October 10th, 1958, to Juanita and Donald Burrard. Juanita worked as a secretary at a Catholic school, and Donald was a contractor and owned a local bar restaurant. Peggy was beautiful and charismatic and popular. And although Pam is a year older than Peggy, Pam admired and looked up to Peggy when they were kids. Peggy seemed to have it all. She would be at the bus stop and she was just flowing beautiful hair. I mean, just beautiful head full of hair and beautiful eyebrows, nice big smile. Peggy certainly liked being the star of the show. Once, as kids, Pam and Peggy both attended a birthday party. And after the birthday girl blew out the candles, strangely... Peggy's parents relit the candles, and everyone had to sing happy birthday again, this time to Peggy. Peggy cried and wanted us to sing happy birthday to her. And we had to sing happy birthday to Peggy. And though I was only eight years old, I found that very unusual. And now that I reflect back on it, I realize that that was the beginning of her parents compensating and overcompensating for Peggy Only in adulthood did Pam realize that Peggy's life was not picture perfect. Peggy had two siblings, a brother and a sister, but her sister died from leukemia as a child. Peggy's mother, Juanita, by all accounts, was a sweet woman, but her father, Donald, was controlling and verbally abusive. 
her father would come home and demand that his house was clean. I mean, waxed floors. And her mother was not that type. She was laid back. So Peggy, to keep the peace in the household, she would do it. So she did a lot of housework as a child, more than usual. She would suck her thumb. She was probably, you know, maybe seven or eight years old. I don't know when she stopped, but I think sucking her thumb was how she nurtured herself. There was one place where the stress of home melted away, and Peggy could spend quality time with her mother, Juanita. They would shop and just go into this this shopping world um, and shop and probably spend too much money. So she would shop and she would return it. She would shop and she would return it. But Peggy was always dressed like a, a porcelain doll. Peggy's parents were middle class, and yet Peggy was always able to wear new clothes. This love of shopping would stay with her into adulthood. The mall became her sanctuary. Peggy was smart and did exceptionally well in school. In 1975, she graduated high school a year early and enrolled at Spelman College in Atlanta. She was 17. But her education ended abruptly her sophomore year when she got married and had her first child, a son. Do you remember if she was excited to have a son? No, but I do know of one or two stories that made me believe that she was excited in the beginning, but probably after the relationship was over, she was ready to resume back to her single life. When the relationship ended, Peggy moved back to New Orleans. Her parents took in her son to raise. Shortly after, Peggy married again and had her second child. This marriage was also short-lived, and her ex-husband got custody of their child. When I interviewed Pam, she often stopped, taking long pauses and sighing heavily. How do I explain Peggy, she would say, hesitant to be too honest, worried that Peggy might come across as some kind of villain. She was my friend, Pam tells me. Pam talks about Peggy like you would a sibling, someone that you love deeply, but you are also keenly aware of their faults. According to Pam, Peggy was perpetually unsatisfied. She was looking for something in her marriages. Love? Yes, of course. But not just love. She gave the impression that she always wanted to be in a position with a very high-ranking officer or um, a high-career individual. But she also wanted the lights shining on her. Peggy wanted status and notoriety. She wanted to be loved by her husband and also loved by everyone else. She had no trouble attracting the attention of men. She was not just beautiful. She was often the most beautiful woman in the room and the best dressed and the most charismatic. You know, she was a girl that sat in the room and all guys noticed her and she was always well kept. And if she's sitting there amongst her friends and if we were dressed to go to a concert or something like that, she would always outdress us. She would always out-talk us, and she always had to be the, the perfect person. Peggy met her third husband, Dr. Forrest King, in 1982, and in 1985 became Peggy King. And it's through this relationship with Dr. King that Peggy began to move up the social ladder. Dr. King was an emergency room surgeon and a businessman. 
He founded a medical management business called Premier Management Group that was very successful. Peggy took care of all the billing for the company. Peggy and Dr. King had two kids, Forrest III, or Little Forrest, and Joe. Like, how was Peggy as a mother when you were little? Was she, like, a very involved, attentive mom? Was she busy working? My mom ran, like, you know, my dad's business, but, you know, pretty much stay-at-home mom. I mean, she did have a lot of responsibility running his company, but, you know, she did that from home. This is Forrest King III, or Little Forrest, as he's known. He said that Peggy was a great mom. She was fun and attentive and he had a good childhood. He also said that growing up, he noticed that people treated his mother differently than other moms. You know, I always knew that people thought my mom was beautiful. I mean, we would check into hotels and we would get free suite upgrades because they thought she was a movie star. I mean, things like that. We're not going to correct you. We're just going to take it. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, yeah, I always knew that that she was beautiful and, you know, that, that people saw her that way. Peggy was still in the habit of dressing like a porcelain doll, always looking perfect and always looking for a new outfit. Everybody makes fun of me because when I go to the mall, I walk super fast. And that's because I got a lot of experience having to follow her. You got to keep up. You know, mom, mom runs fast through the mall. So uh, I'm a speed walker <laughs> by trade, I guess you could say. Dr. Forrest King sold his practice and retired early when he was in his 40s. And in 1996, the family moved to Country Club of the South, a gated community about 30 minutes northeast of Atlanta. A-list celebrities such as Whitney Houston and Usher have owned homes in this neighborhood, along with professional athletes like NBA Hall of Famer Allen Iverson. Dr. Forrest King and Peggy started to make friends in high places. Little Forrest told me that his father began to invest money for fun, and he was quite successful. They lived a very comfortable life. My dad's very conservative. So, you know, you're never going to see my dad like riding in a Bentley. You know what I mean? Like, he's just not that type of dude. You know, the flashiest car he ever had that I can remember was like an SL500. You know what I mean? A new Mercedes SL500 starts at about $85,000 versus a Bentley, which can easily cost over 200000 So Dr. Forrest King was wealthy, but not flashy. But, I mean, car shopping, if they wanted a car, they bought two. I mean, we lived in multi-million dollar houses. And then in the late 90s, Dr. Forrest King decided to start a new career in sports management. And his first client was a basketball player named Travis Best. Peggy originally met Best back when he was playing for Georgia Tech, and they kept in touch. My dad negotiated one of his contracts. So my dad got his NBA agent license. I mean, my dad knows all the GMs in the NBA, the NFL. I mean, you know, he was very well connected at that time. So that's pretty much how it started. Uh, And then, you know, they were like, well, not only can we manage, you know, you guys getting your contracts as an agent, but we can also do your investments. We can also handle your personal life. And that's where it kind of came from, building generational wealth. This was the birth of King Management Group. Dr. King and Peggy were the perfect team. Dr. King was a whiz for business and investments, and Peggy was a whiz for networking and socializing. 
she moved through social circles with incredible ease. Dr. Forrest King has claimed that everything was above board at this point in time. And who knows how it would have progressed if they had kept going. But in the year 2000, everything changed. A tragedy rocked Peggy's family. Her mother's house caught fire, and her mother died from smoke inhalation. Peggy was devastated. She had a mental breakdown and checked herself into a hospital for several weeks. Dr. Forrest King has stated that this event changed Peggy, that she was never quite the same again. It turned out to be the end of their marriage as well. Within a year, Peggy would move out of their mansion in Atlanta and back to New Orleans. Little Forrest and Joe stayed with their dad in Atlanta. I spoke with Dr. Forrest King on the phone, and he declined to do an interview for this podcast. But he did say that he and Peggy maintained a friendship many years after the divorce. Peggy and Dr. King started King Management Group together, but Dr. King decided to walk away. When would you say that your dad sort of bowed out? Say pretty much right when they broke up. And he'll tell you himself, he was pretty much, hey, writing's on the wall, man. This is not the game you want to be in. Because, you know, you playing around with people's money. My dad was the one who, you know, became an agent and, you know, got his licensing and things of that nature. Um, so, you know, he was definitely the one who would have done the investments and, you know, managed the accounts and, you know, done the right things. So, you know, I think that it was just an easy segue for her. In 2001, Peggy became the sole CEO of King Management Group. The business was already there. The relationships were already built. So, you know, the only thing that she had to do was use her personality to get new clients and kind of just build off of what they had started together. And Peggy made a very significant change to the way that she pitched King Management to potential clients. She started to say that she wasn't going to charge them any money for her services. She would tell people that, you know, I'm going to manage all your money for you and I don't want anything in return. Uh, which, again, I always, always, always stressed that that was a terrible way to do business. Peggy was single for the first time in a long time, and she needed a new way to support herself. And she saw an opportunity to do just that in King Management. Even though her ex-husband was the one with the business acumen and the management experience, Peggy had unmatched social prowess. And she convinced their existing clients, including Travis Best, to stick with her at King Management, even when Dr. Forrest King stepped away. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. 
LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Travis Best played basketball for Georgia Tech and was drafted by the Indiana Pacers in 1995. Gary Ebert became his agent later in 2008, but he remembers watching Travis play basketball when he was a college student. Travis was a talented point guard with a promising future. Everybody likes Travis not only as a person, but his ability to play is cerebral. And the point guards like being a quarterback in football. They make all the decisions. They decide where the ball is going to go, how the offense is set up. And that was Travis. You know, Travis was a guy who had a very level head. He wasn't an outrageously flashy guard. At 5'11", Travis certainly wasn't the biggest guy in the court, but he was smart and highly skilled. He was also King Management Group's first client. And when Peggy took over as the sole CEO, Travis stayed on with her. Over time, Peggy got more and more control over Travis's finances. Peggy left Atlanta and moved back to New Orleans in late 2001. A short time later, she met Ricky Williams. And the fact that she was Travis Best's business manager gave her a lot of credibility. One of our first encounters of talking with her, uh, she explained how she did financial advising to a few athletes. And um, I know one of the athletes that she talked about was uh, Travis Best. She spoke highly of him. This is Ricky's best friend, Chantel Cohen. Two weeks later, after meeting her, we went out for Mardi Gras and we went to a Zulu ball. And that's how she met the first husband that I actually met in person, uh, Stan. The Zulu ball is a who's who of the wealthy in New Orleans. And that is where Peggy met her fourth husband, Stanley Williams, or Stan. Stan is an anesthesiologist. He and Peggy hit it off immediately. I just remember us getting in the car after and her speaking about meeting Stan, and she's like, I met this guy, you know, so she was super happy about it. And a few weeks later, Peggy and Stan got married. Peggy King was now Peggy Williams. I don't know if it's something that she was still, you know, married to Forrest at the time, and her and Stan got married in Vegas. Like, I don't, I, I really can't wrap my head around it, but I just think it's hilarious. Chantel said that there was this one strange thing that Peggy would do. At the time, she kind of thought it was funny. Only years later did she wonder if it should have been a red flag. I know when we did first meet her, she told us to call her Raquel in public um, because not too many people knew her as Peggy like that. And, you know, it's just crazy guys in this world. So she wanted us to say Raquel when we went out in public. Now thinking back, why do you what what do you think was going on with this the Raquel thing? I think that was just a different persona for her. I asked Chantal if Peggy pitched herself to be Ricky's financial manager right away. But Chantel said no. For months it was just friendship. They didn't even talk about business or money. Months in, she kind of started, you know, asking questions about how Ricky is doing, how's, you know, things being handled and things like that. But it was nothing 
serious to the point to where, you know, Ricky stopped to think, oh, I need to hire her or anything like that. Like it was more of like a family relationship per se and not a business situation. So then at what point did it turn into a business relationship? I think towards the end of Ricky being in New Orleans and getting traded to the Miami Dolphins of her helping out um, with certain stuff, you know, helping move his stuff, putting his house on the market, if I'm not mistaken, and things like that. So it was just little jobs here and there. But, you know, she never spoke about him paying her or anything like that. Like, this is something that she wanted to do because she loved the family. So it was more of her just helping instead of like a job. In fact, the actual talk of a job of Peggy becoming Ricky's financial manager, that wouldn't come for a couple more years. Do you think looking back now that this was all intentional, that she was just building that relationship with the goal of eventually being the financial manager to Ricky? I I honestly can't answer that question with a direct answer because I witnessed how Peggy was with Ricky and I feel that she truly loved Ricky, but the way that she was in business kind of just overtook the whole, you know, being pure with the situation. Um, So I can't really put my finger on uh, something like that. Eventually, Peggy did become Ricky's business manager, and we'll get to that. But I think it's really important to note that for years before any money got involved, Peggy and Ricky, they had a real friendship. Even Chantel, who is very protective of Ricky and who has a lot of reasons at this point to dislike Peggy, she can't deny the fact that Peggy and Ricky had something real. When Peggy showed up in Ricky's life, he was on this upward career trajectory. At the same time, he had hit a major personal setback. See, Ricky Williams was a big deal in college football. He played for UT, the University of Texas at Austin, and he was a two-time All-American. He broke a career-rushing record his senior year and eventually was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Ricky won the Heisman Trophy coming out of the University of Texas as a running back, and he had the ability to bowl over defensive players. And he was fast, he was shifty, he didn't fumble. This is Lee Steinberg, Ricky's agent. In 1999, the New Orleans Saints traded all of their draft picks, and some for the following year, in order to grab Ricky in the first round. That was a very big deal. It spoke to just how much confidence the team had in Ricky's abilities. The New Orleans Saints traded their entire draft, all their draft picks, to get Ricky. So that's a lot of pressure. And then they were a losing team, and they were heavily dependent uh, on him. So that's a lot of pressure. Look, he picked a high-pressure profession, and he decided to play running back, you know, which every play ends with him being either thrown to the turf, scoring a touchdown, or running out of bounds. The Saints improved their record for the 2000 season and made it all the way to the playoffs, but failed to do so again in 2001 or in 2002. And a single player can only do so much, even if they are incredibly talented, like Ricky Williams. And despite having close friends like Chantel in his corner, Ricky struggled with his new status as a famous athlete. 
If you have social anxiety disorder, then being in the spotlight um, is naturally stressful. As Ricky's fame was rising, his discomfort with the limelight intensified. And Peggy was there. She offered him emotional support. And at least in the beginning, it really seemed genuine. He felt comfortable with opening up to her. There were plenty of times where it was just them two that hung out and got closer. She had, you know, just a big heart towards the situation of what he was going through. She was very open and a lot of compassion towards how he was going through his social anxiety. And then in March of 2002, Ricky was traded to the Miami Dolphins. He was moving to Miami. Then Peggy and her new husband, Stan, well, they decided to move to Miami too. But soon after Ricky got to Miami, he ran into some issues. He was treating his social anxiety with cannabis, which was against league regulations at the time. The rules changed in 2020, and players are no longer suspended for using THC. But in 2002, it was a big deal. He just ran afoul several times of the prohibition against marijuana. It's a little funny when you see it in retrospect, given the fact that here in California, you can uh, go to a drug dispensary and buy it. In May of 2002, Ricky failed a drug test. About a year and a half later, he failed again. And these violations carried serious consequences at the time, including a $650,000 fine and a suspension. Things went from bad to worse. By late July of 2004, one week before training camp, Ricky did something that NFL players just don't do at the height of their careers. He walked away. Ricky announced that he was retiring from football. The fans were outraged. Smoking weed is more important to him than playing professional football. A disgrace to humanity, Ricky Williams. That was from the trailer of ESPN's 30 for 30 documentary about Ricky Williams. Ricky experienced a lot of blowback. Some fans even blocked his name off their jerseys with tape. There was a general consensus that Ricky had betrayed his fans in some way. But Ricky was on his own journey. There came a point in his career where he just thought, Football was irrelevant, and he wanted to explore other things, and he, he uh, retired and went to live in a pup tent uh, in Australia. Ricky was searching for meaning outside of football. After Australia, he moved to Grass Valley, a small town in Northern California, to study Ayurvedic medicine. On the field, he was ideal. He didn't have any dissonance. He didn't have any uh, doubts. Uh, Off the field, he was just like any other young uh, person trying to figure out, was it the school of Ayurveda that would help him? What, What was it in terms of enlightenment that would show him the way? Though Ricky was vilified for leaving the NFL, there were those who hoped he would one day play football again. And eventually, those hopes turned into a reality. Ricky returned to the NFL in 2005. And Peggy was there to help him get back on his feet. Once he came back, she said, let me help you. Let me get this generational wealth together for you. Uh, You're spending too much money on electronics and just stuff that's not benefiting you moving forward. So she talked her way into it and they let her take control. Even with all the fame, Ricky was in a position at that time 
in which he really did need a good business manager. His first contract with the NFL has been called one of the worst contracts in NFL history. He agreed to this large signing bonus of $8.8 million, but his yearly salary was mostly based on performance incentives, which he didn't meet. So he was essentially making the league minimum. And then when he walked away from his contract with the Miami Dolphins, they sued him for millions of dollars. He had children to support and maybe only a few more years left playing on the field. Peggy had gotten close with Ricky's longtime girlfriend and soon-to-be wife, Kristen Barnes. And Kristen and Ricky asked Peggy to step in as their business manager to help set them and their kids up for the future by making smart investments and putting them on a budget. Ricky Williams signed power of attorney over to Peggy. This was five years after she first met Ricky. So for five years... She's a close family friend, and she's just helping out here and there, but she's not really taking money payments for anything? Nope. Nope. I always said she didn't want to take any money because taking money would dip into his money, and she's trying to help him raise the generational wealth and save his money. So she never wanted to charge him for anything. I remember her saying that she... Did not need to get paid by Ricky. He's a family friend. She wanted to help him. We all know that Ricky went in and out of money situations during the NFL, and she just wanted to help the family be safe and okay when it comes to money. So her thing was, let me put you on a monthly allowance. We'll do this with your football check. I'll give you this much to spend per month. I'll pay all your bills, your child support, and everything like that. So that was their main deal. And then what did she say she was going to do with the rest of the money, the leftovers? She said she put things in overseas accounts, and she was supposed to invest his money in different projects. And so what was your understanding of what Elkin's role was in King Management? I felt Elkin was the one that actually went out with the athletes to do whatever appearances and things like that. Like he was there day to day and Peggy was more of, I bring in the business deals and things like that. Peggy didn't run King Management Group on her own. She was the CEO, but she had a business partner. And a few months ago, I got to meet him. All of this is going to be edited together. So if you ever need to stop or go back or redo something, it's totally fine. So can we start, I guess, just, you know, tell me about where you mainly grew up. Well, I grew up in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. 
And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. So I want to talk about Elkin. Would love to talk about Elkin. When did you first meet Elkin? It was quite some time after Peggy was in the picture that Elkin kind of, he was coming into town. Like, I, I didn't know idea who he was. And she said it was her brother was coming to town to help her with her business management business. I think that Elkin is in damage control and I don't blame him because this, this has got to be devastating for his family, for everybody. I'm sure they're embarrassed by it. I can't speak for what he did know or didn't know, but it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Peggy and Elkin became known in South Florida as King Management Group, this sister-brother duo who managed the money of elite athletes. Elkin has never been charged with any crimes related to King Management Group, and he maintains to this day that he had no idea that Peggy was doing anything criminal. In the spring of 2022, I went to meet Elkin at his apartment in Southern California. He says his relationship with Peggy blossomed after she left Dr. Forrest King, around 2001. Elkin and Peggy both ended up back in New Orleans at the same time. That's when we became best friends. I would probably say 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004. We became really, really tight. Elkin's life has changed significantly since Peggy was arrested. He used to spend his time partying with celebrities many of whom have stopped talking to him. There are still a few hints of the good old days. When I interview him, he's wearing a vintage Harley-Davidson shirt paired with Balenciaga glasses. Elkin is charismatic and charming, difficult to dislike, which seems to be a characteristic that he shares with Peggy. She can make you feel like a million dollars. She can make you feel better than she looks. So you're looking at this beautiful woman that's like, baby, you need anything? Oh, you sure you okay? So I've never, like, I've seen very few people as dynamic, you know? My grandmother was like that. Just everybody loved her. Just everybody loved her. The reason that so many people have stopped talking to Elkin is that he was deeply involved in King Management Group. Although he was never charged with a crime, there are those who still hold him responsible in some way. In 2005, Peggy had been living in Miami for three years. Elkin was still in New Orleans. In August, there were reports of this hurricane that was headed toward the southeast coast of the U.S. Elkin was worried about Peggy. I call her during Hurricane Katrina because it's the evacuation, because I'm hearing that the hurricane actually is going through Miami first before it hits the Gulf and I'm trying to see if she's okay. She, she said, oh no, babe, I'm, all, I'm doing just fine. I'm at the Shore Club sitting at the piano with Jamie Foxx and, you know, at the Academy Award. They had some MTV Music Awards down in Miami and she was in Jamie Foxx's suite hanging with the Who's Who and da-da-da. But I think that's when it really hit me to where like, damn, I need to go down to Miami. She was popping. Peggy may have lived in multi-million dollar houses before when she was married to Dr. Forrest King, but Stanley Williams was an anesthesiologist. 
It's not uncommon for anesthesiologists to make $40,000 a month. Peggy was living large, and she was rubbing elbows with A-list celebrities, spreading the word about King Management Group. And Elkin wanted in on that scene. So he moved to Miami after Hurricane Katrina. He worked in banking for a while, and then after the financial crash, he started working for Peggy full-time. I was operations. I believe that I was, like, in charge of, like, collecting the money. And she was the CEO. Elkin insists that he never handled the investments, that he didn't have access to any of the bank accounts. His main focus was cash flow, to keep the money coming in. We did really well, and things were going really good. And I think that that was, like, the best of times, you know? And Ricky was doing really well. He was playing his ass off he was making he had went from making like not even a million his first year and then like his third or fourth year he was at four or five million he was doing good good money coming in elkin speaks about this time with nostalgia as if peggy were the queen of miami everybody just had this respect for her she was like the one they revered and gave like respect to and that also you know I was very impressed by that, with her being a black woman minority, getting all that respect, getting all of that good treatment. Everybody be like, Mama Peggy, Mama, don't mess with Mama. Then in 2007, Peggy was introduced to Dennis Rodman. At this point, it wasn't a stretch to think that they would meet. Peggy had made her way from a humble upbringing to becoming a regular at celebrity-only establishments. She lived in the right neighborhood. She drove the right car. She had the right friends. And she was quickly building an impressive roster of clients, including NBA player Rashad McCants and NFL running back for the Miami Dolphins, Lex Hilliard. But Dennis Rodman was her most high-profile client yet. And then Elkin became Dennis Rodman's day-to-day manager. My responsibilities were to like completely run Dennis. I lived in the same apartment building. I did all of the driving, all of the security, all just basically one-on-one with Dennis. He drove Rodman to business meetings, lunches, dinners, even to the club. Eventually, he became Rodman's road manager as well and traveled the world with him. That's how I got to work with a lot of people because, oh, Dennis has got a gig in uh, China. Let me call Gary Payton up and see if he wants to come play with us. Let me call this one up and see, because the promoter's asking me, oh, you think you can get anybody else? Well, maybe I can if I call him. So it was opening up more doors for me. Peggy had made it. Maybe she was the queen of Miami. But what was real and what was made up? Peggy made a lot of claims. She told some people that she had made millions of dollars on Wall Street. She told other people that her ex-husband, Dr. Forrest King, was the one who made all the money. With all of his investments, she would never have to work again. And then there's the claim she made about being a Harvard graduate. One of the first things she told me, and almost, almost one of the first conversations I had with Peggy, she told me that she, she graduated from Harvard Law School. She even had her degree from Harvard framed in her home office. Now, when I spoke with Elkin, he denied this, and he downplayed her Harvard claims, telling me that no one really believed that. But Jimmy Jams, who lived at Peggy's house, 
remembers seeing her Harvard credentials displayed prominently in her office. She had the highest level of education from Harvard. You saw this plaque. Absolutely. I look at it every day. But of course, Peggy never went to Harvard. I spoke with her son, Little Forrest, about this. I always had an issue with it where, you know, she would tell people that she went to a different school. I mean, she went to a great school. Spelman College is one of the best historically black college universities in the country. So there's no reason you need to tell anybody you went to Harvard. (laughs) You know what I mean? Perhaps saying that she went to Harvard was part of this image that Peggy carefully crafted for herself. But for one of her clients, the truth was about to become undeniable. Travis Best retired in 2010 at the age of 37. That same year, he opened up a bill from the IRS for unpaid back taxes. I got a phone call from Travis one day and he was freaked out. He wasn't playing anymore. And, you know, and the IRS got involved. They sent him a monster tax bill. I don't remember the amount of the tax bill that came to the United States, but it was a multi-million dollar tax bill. Peggy had previously asked Travis to wire her over $1 million specifically for his taxes, and yet they had not been paid for several years. And was he under the impression that Peggy was paying his taxes and taking care of it? Of course, yes. Travis Best did not live a lavish lifestyle. He was conservative with his money. For his entire career, he maintained a strict monthly budget. He lived within that budget. He turned the rest of his money over to Peggy and the people that managed him at different times. And he had an expectation that he was going to have X amount of dollars after he retired, plus his uh, Social Security, plus his uh, NBA retirement that he had started drawing already. And I mean, Travis is a guy that he made right at a million dollars playing overseas, and he probably made right at $20 million playing in the NBA. So the first person that you've got to pay as an NBA athlete is the government. So, you know, out of $20 million, you know, he might have had 13 or 14 left. So when you start talking about, you know, getting taken for, say, the multi-millions of dollars that he did get taken for, it's a substantial amount. Eventually, Best filed a civil lawsuit against Peggy in Florida. But that wasn't until later, in 2014. Back in December of 2010, he kept the issue quiet. Travis hasn't done interviews with anybody because he don't want to talk about it. He's embarrassed by the whole situation, and he's upset, and he feels like he's had his soul ripped out. This is a story I've heard before. In fact, there are more victims than we even know about because they have not come forward publicly to say that they were conned by Peggy. But at the end of 2010, none of Peggy's other clients knew about Travis Best's unpaid taxes. Peggy only had a reputation as an excellent business manager— and she was getting more clients all the time. Jimmy Jams didn't know exactly what Peggy and Elkin did for a living. He never asked. But he was there to witness so much of it. He and Elkin partied in Miami most nights of the week, and he saw exactly how Elkin scored new clients. If anybody tried to pull up in, like, a McLaren, Elkin would be like, I love your style. And the guy would be like, thank you. And, like, Elka try to find that dude, like, weave his way to the guy and say, yo, just want to let you know I'm a part of a big investment group. One of my clients is Dennis. Ricky Williams is one of my top. And that's all they needed to hear. Elkin presented King Management Group as this elite and exclusive investment group. If you weren't already a multimillionaire, 
He didn't want your business. Elk and Black, if you ain't got a million dollars in cars, I don't want none of your business. Show me a million in cars and then we could do business. So these people are like, wow, this guy's for real. When Elkin found a potential new client, Jimmy saw how Elkin whined and dined them, how Elkin whipped out his King Management-issued American Express card and covered the bill as they all partied into the early hours of the morning. When he had somebody, he would text Peggy and say, look, I'm about to drop 850 on this tab. Don't bug out, but I got somebody. And she was like, do it. Oh, he bust out that American Express. Jimmy remembers that Elkin would ring up tabs into the thousands, multiple nights a week. Only later would he start to wonder about that American Express card and ask himself, whose money was that? By 2010, Peggy was building up her client list and her reputation in the most elite circles of Miami. And there were already rumors circulating that her top client, Dennis Rodman, was to be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. When things are going so well, it's tempting to believe that they will only get better and better. But Peggy's spending was about to catch up with her. That's next time on The Opportunist. Elkin goes, he cannot talk to the bankers. We've already told the bankers that they cannot talk to him about his finances. So he goes in there thinking he's going to come out with money, and he comes out even more irate than he was when we went to Peggy's house. Say, why won't they let me have access to my money? The Opportunist is a cast original podcast. It's produced by me, Hannah Smith, along with Paisha Eaton, Natalie Gregory, Kate Mays, and Sarah Dalglish. Colin Thompson is our executive producer. Anton Doty is our editor. The show is mixed and mastered by Matt Sewell. Our cover art is by Arvin Lee. Special thanks to Trent K. Maverick. Do you have a suggestion for the show? An opportunist that you want us to cover? You can email us at theopportunist at castmedia.com. Hide me early in the morning No word of warning Of what's to come I'll follow wherever you take me Wherever fate leads me down Take me, take me out of the water Guide me to the border And see me home Guard me, steer me through the wasteland I could be a shadow
If you're enjoying The Opportunist, I would love it so much if you would take a moment, go to wherever you listen and subscribe to the show. Um, It also helps us a lot if you can rate and review the show, specifically on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the show. So thank you so, so much. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.